Welcome back, Warriors. Tansei Sego Anibuju, Kwe Nin Deluizi Pampometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, and practices. And it's always about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. During the summer, while I take a much-needed summer break to be with family back home in Mi'kma'ki, I am sharing episodes from my YouTube series called Reconciliation Book Club. These are extended reviews of books written by Native authors and allies about important issues facing our nations. So far this summer, I've posted my review of Whose Land Is It Anyway? A Manual for Decolonization, edited by Nicole Shabas and Peter McFarlane, and published by the Federation of Post-Secondary Educators. This is a free book available online. And last week, I posted my review of An Act of Genocide, Colonialism and the Sterilization of Aboriginal Women, written by Karen Stote and published by Fernwood Press. Links to both of these books can be found in the YouTube and Warrior Life podcast description boxes. And just as a heads-up reminder, while I tried to clean up the audio from these older videos, it might still have some echo. I'm not much of a techie, but I continue to try to improve with each video or podcast episode, so thanks for your support along the way. This podcast is 100% listener-supported through Patreon and t-shirt sales, which help me keep my content entirely independent. I use the funds to pay for things like hosting fees, audio and video equipment, and other things like software and promotion. You can always access my Warrior Life clothing store on Teespring, now known as Spring, and my Patreon account through my website, pampometer.com, or I always post the links in the description box below. We have new designs in the Warrior Life shop. We've got the original Warrior Life logo, the Warrior Life podcast, Warrior Kids podcast, Bad Indian, which is really about awesome Native peoples, and our latest design, which is Resist, Resurge, Reclaim. And we have more Native designs to come. Thank you so much for all your continued support. So, today's Reconciliation Book Club review is Unsettling Canada, a national wake-up call by Arthur Manuel, and it was published by Between the Lines. It also has a foreword by none other than Naomi Klein, and it also has an afterword by Grand Chief Ronald Derrickson. So, let's just get straight into the review. So today I'm going to be reviewing Arthur Manuel's book, Unsettling Canada, A National Wake-Up Call, and it was published by Between the Lines. Now here's the interesting thing. When I first started this Reconciliation Book Club, I sent a call out for book suggestions from people um, about the books you wanted me to review, and Arthur Manuel's Unsettling Canada was by far the most requested book for me to review. Arthur Manuel's book, Unsettling Canada, was published by Between the Lines in 2015. Now, the publishing company Between the Lines describes itself as engaging in radical book publishing, and they've been doing this since 1977. Between the Lines describes itself as wanting to publish high-quality books that help promote social justice and social change. 
They publish authors that give their insight, their experience, and their analysis on things like law, policy, politics, social issues, and many of which it's the kind of analysis that you wouldn't find in the mainstream. And you might notice a theme in this book club. I tend to pick both authors and publishing companies where possible that focus on social justice, um, that focus on lifting up and empowering the voices of those who wouldn't necessarily be published in the mainstream because that's where you really get to the social justice issues, especially on Indigenous issues. The book is about 266 pages. It's a paperback. It's available from Between the Lines directly, or you can order it from online companies like Amazon.ca, for example. And the book runs about $29.95. It's also available in various e-formats, uh, ranging generally from around $10 and under. Arthur was born to his mom, Marceline, and his dad, George, both of whom were from native territories in BC, and Arthur grew up on the Nesconleth Reserve. Arthur came from a very political family. I mean, most people who are involved in native politics are very familiar with his father, George Manuel. He's known all over. He has his own writings. He was a very, very persistent and powerful native rights activist, and he was also one of the very first leaders of the National Indian Brotherhood, which uh, later became the Assembly of First Nations. And clearly, George's son Arthur followed in his political footsteps, because Arthur served four elected terms as chief of his Nethconless First Nation. And he also served six years as the chair of the Shushwap Nation Tribal Council. And political activism also runs strong in Arthur's family, not just from his dad, but also his own children, who are also very politically active, especially on the ground. Some of you might remember uh, the book that I featured a couple of book reviews ago called Whose Land Is It Anyway, where we featured uh, Kenahus Manuel, which is the daughter of Arthur Manuel, and she has just been recently arrested by police for peacefully trying to defend her territory from pipelines and um, they even broke her arm. So you've got a family that is always been willing to put their life, their liberty, their freedom, uh, their name, and everything that means everything to them in defense of their lands and their territories, their peoples, and their self-determination. To say that the Manuel family is a powerful one would be a real understatement. I mean, the Manuel family has an unwavering commitment to defending native lands and waters and peoples and self-determination, and we have all benefited from their advocacy. Now, Arthur also has another published works. It's called The Reconciliation Manifesto, and it is definitely a book that we'll be reviewing in this book club at some time in the future. What I'll do is I'll post a link in the description box below this video so that you can have access to his previous publications, and also post a link to our previous book review on Whose Land Is It Anyway, which was done in his honor and featured some of his writing. The book is 266 pages, and it's divided into about 17 different chapters. And it has a foreword by Naomi Klein, who herself is a New York Times bestselling author. She's a journalist. She's an activist and really well known, especially in the environmental community, where she's trying to protect the planet from ongoing climate change. The book 
also contains an afterword by Ronald Derrickson, who uh, was given the honorary title of Grand Chief, but we'll talk more about that after. Several prominent Indigenous activists and academics have also come out and offered their words of praise for this book. I mean, you've got Glenn Coulthard, Leanne Simpson, Drew Hayden Taylor, and many others, and you can find them on the inside and on the back cover of the book. This book, which is a national bestseller, is categorized in the History and Indigenous Studies category, and it also won the Canadian Aboriginal History Award, which is just amazing, so you know that this book packs a real punch. It's a unique book that combines politics and history, resistance, social movements, and a real insight into Native activism in a first-person perspective, one that's based on lived experience, and it's really honest, open, and frank. Now, each chapter covers both a different issue and a different time period, and at times it reads like you're really right there as it's unfolding. Whether it's the release of the 1969 White Paper on Indian Policy, the Constitution Express or the protests that were held at Sun Peaks. It is an incredible lived insight. Arthur also provides a really good analysis of key junctures in time, like when the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples was released, uh, when the Delgamook decision came down from the Supreme Court of Canada, which was the first major decision on Aboriginal title, and he really offers a lot of insight in that regard. And so if you're one of those people who are new to this book club or new to Indigenous histories and in current political Indigenous issues, this is a great book for you because even though you don't have the background on it, you'll learn a lot from a first-hand perspective as Arthur was going through it. And for those of you, you know, Native studies and, and political science junkies who've been working in this for years, you'll also get a lot out of this book because of his lived personal insight, and that is invaluable. And you won't find that in any history books. Even where they do mention all of these historical issues, they don't talk about it from how did we organize? What was going on behind the scenes? What were the real challenges? Um, how should we do things differently in the future? And that's why this book is so useful because he also incorporates his thoughts and ideas on what we can do to advance our rights on an ongoing basis. Now, the core thesis of this book is that the root cause, the primary root cause of all of the socioeconomic conditions of First Nations in this country stems from the dispossession of our lands and resources. And that is the number one underlying factor. And it's also the number one reason why we continue, many of us, to live in poverty. It's because our lands continue to be held from us and our resources continue to be held from us. And he makes the point that we heard him say all over the country many, 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 many times, that it is impossible for sovereign, self-determining Indigenous nations to sustain themselves, their governments, and their peoples when they only have 0.2% of all of the traditional lands that they used to have in Canada. And so on a go-forward basis, land is key. Now, he points out the fact that it's true that the federal government is engaged with organizations like the Assembly of First Nations, and it's always a back and forth on federal programs and services. And while those federal programs and services are very much needed because of the 
impoverished, you know, socio-economic conditions caused by the land dispossession, that what they do is they keep us constantly chasing federal programs and services, trying to deal with the aftermath of what is land dispossession and taking the wealth away from our nations. So he says that that just keeps us in dependency and doesn't address the issue of they need to return our land and resources back. Now his solution going forward is no surprise. It's also a recognition by the Canadian state that we have Aboriginal title, that we are self-determining peoples, and to engage in processes where return of some of those lands and resources um, are made, and also that our self-determination is incorporated within the law. Now he recognizes that any solutions which are based in part on, you know, recognition of our rights within Canadian law is inherently problematic. But what he's saying is that because Canada's constitution, which is Canada's supreme law for Canadians, where it contains all of the division of powers and different jurisdictions, because that document is so powerful and it's the governing document um, over the state of Canada, that including statements and laws and protections related to the protection of our Aboriginal title and the protection of our right to be self-determining, he thinks that in the end that would still be more beneficial and a more a bigger form of true reconciliation, a substantive reconciliation, and would act really as a shield against Canada going outside of or breaching our rights to self-determination and an Aboriginal title. And when you think about it, in the Canadian legal system, and I'm not talking about the Indigenous legal system, which has never been displaced, um, but in the Canadian legal system, Canada's constitution is, they consider that to be the supreme law of their legal system in the sense that it trumps all other laws and other laws can't be amending the constitution without going through a constitutional amendment process. So because that law is so powerful and because our treaties are already incorporated in there, and the Royal uh, Proclamation is included in there, that he's thinking that that is one of the ways forward to guaranteeing our rights within this Canadian system. The other part I really liked about this book is his honesty about all of the challenges associated with the Native struggle, but at the same time he acknowledges that it's actually a privilege that we have to be here, to be engaged in this Native struggle, and to be a part of our nationhood and our sovereignty in defending our territories. And he actually makes a quote from his dad, George Manuel. And George says, the most important gift we have received from our parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents is the legacy of struggle. And I think that's a very powerful sentiment um, to remind us to put this struggle in context that even though it's difficult, we're very lucky to be here and to have inherited um, this passion and commitment um, and sovereignty and sense of identity from our ancestors. At the same time, he's also very frank about the political failures of the Assembly of First Nations, especially in recent years, and how the Assembly of First Nations, or the AFN, has actually become an incredible barrier, a challenge and an impediment to us in the cause. To his mind, the AFN has had a 
detrimental impact on the native rights movement. And that's one of the issues that we have to deal with going forward. Now, in terms of a critique of this book, I always struggle to find something to say because in any book review, you're supposed to celebrate its highlights and find things that could be improved. Now, one of the things I found was that because I'm a lawyer and because I'm an academic, I'm inherently obsessed with citations. And the reason why I like citations is because I like to use all of these books as resources, resources for ongoing research, publications, um, reading other materials that I might not have read. And he refers to a lot of documents and materials in this book, and they're not all cited. So I guess if I had to find a critique, that would be one of them, but that's only from an academic perspective. That's probably not something that the general public uh, cares as much about. Now, the other issue is the afterward by Grand Chief Ronald Derrickson. I understand he was really close friends with Arthur and helped uh, fund many of his international activities and his advocacy, uh, his book writing and things like that. And, you know, that's something really to be acknowledged because anyone who is able to support Arthur Manuel uh, should be acknowledged because Arthur Manuel did such important work. And as we all know, being an activist, being an advocate, you don't get rich from that. And you certainly don't have access to the same amount of funds as large corporations do or governments do. So I think that's a significant contribution. Um, the only small issue I have is that his chapter doesn't really read the same way as Arthur, the rest of the messages in Arthur Manuel's book. He seems to focus more on uh, resource extraction, which seems at times to be in conflict with what Arthur Manuel was doing. I mean, there was lots of content in his book where he was trying to stop resource extraction from native territories. So if I had to find a critique, that would probably be one of them. But overall, this is an incredibly strong book. I mean, all of it taken together uh, is, is one that everybody in this country should read. Everybody should understand what actually be ha you know happened behind all of these events that occurred over all of these time periods. I've actually had to read this book several times because when the book first came out, I was asked to do a book review of it for the Literary Review of Canada. And even though I've read this book multiple times, I always come to the same conclusion. This book really, really inspires me. Even though there's aspects in the book that are so disheartening and frustrating and, and even heartbreaking that we are engaged in the exact same struggle decade after decade, generation after generation, it also inspires me because it talks to the resilience and the strength and the hope and the pride of our people and their absolute commitment to always maintaining the integrity of our territories and our sovereignty and jurisdiction jurisdiction. And that's a really inspiring message for me. So in the review that I did for the Literary Review of Canada, I came to the following conclusion, and I'm just going to quote from it. Both young activists and seasoned warriors will all gain invaluable insight into the conditions that led to critical mistakes and to political success. It is a rare opportunity to gain from the knowledge, experience, and mistakes of a respected activist and leader who is still engaged in the struggle. 
As an activist myself, I felt a whole range of emotions reading his accounts of various protests. At times, I was sad for the suffering of his family, angry about the government tactics used to vilify and defy us, and frustrated that little seems to have changed. At the same time, I was inspired by the stories of grassroots people who have always been the real source of power behind our movements. Many young Indigenous activists will likely feel a source of pride knowing that Indigenous peoples have always resisted and have never given up despite all that has been done to them. This is an important part of ensuring a positive legacy for the next generation of activists in a context of oppressive assimilatory influences. This book really spoke to me. It, it hits me in the heart every time I read it. It really speaks to our collective struggle from an activist point of view. Arthur had a unique way of sharing the good, the bad, the frustrating, and the inspiring. And just like the last couple of books that we reviewed for this Reconciliation Book Club, I really appreciate books that are for the purposes of education and action. Arthur makes a strong call to continue the struggle and never settle for less. Now, as much as I try, my words can never do Arthur Manuel's words justice. So what I'm going to do is share with you a small clip from TV Ontario's The Agenda that's hosted by Steve Pakin, who actually got a chance to sit down and interview Arthur after his book came out. So take a listen. More people will know Thomas King, whose book, The Inconvenient Indian, was uh, very popular and garnered mm. a lot of attention. I want to read a quote from that book. He writes, since the arrival of Europeans, private ownership of land has been one of the cornerstones of non-native society and economy. Land, to the European mind, gave an individual station within society and was a certain source of wealth. Land could be bought, sold, and traded with more assurance than currency. Indians, through inclination and treaty, held land in common. Okay, how fundamental to any modern treaty process is this difference in how we all view land? Well, I think one of the things is that when you talk about private property in relationship to Canadians, you, the, the people like this sometimes they overlook the fact that when you talk about Canadian sovereignty, Canada claims collectively Canada. Ontario claims that all the resources are for Ontarians, all the resources are for Canadians. That's a collective proprietary interest that Canadians are claiming generally. And then out of that, you create provincial property, private properties based on provincial crown land. You don't pay your taxes, they sell your place for failure of paying taxes. It doesn't mean that you own it outright. What is really a question and at odds here is Aboriginal title, though, is really the fundamental underlying title, not Crown title, because Crown title, which is the collective title for Canadians, is based on colonialism. It's based on this racist notion that a white person can come to North America and just basically say, here, we claim all of Sogopmukka territory for Her Majesty the Queen, and now... And therefore we own it. We own it. Non-natives cannot 
continue to base their 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 claim on North America on that racist notion. If they're going to claim it, it's only under human rights. That's what I'm saying in that book. The only reason white people have a right to be here now is because of human rights, not because Queen Elizabeth in 1862 said, this land is our land and we own underlying land. That's wrong. That's the wrong way to base it. And that's how come indigenous people have been impoverished is because when you add up all the Indian reserves in Canada, all of them, we have 0.2%. That's how come we're poor. That means Canada and the province under the Queen owns 99.8%. That's why Ontario is rich. That's how come BC is rich. It's because those governments claim that. You know, that's what we get out of a resource, 0.2. That's what Indian people have to live on. So we have to settle that. We have to change that. We have to change that. We have to, we have to decolonize Canada. Hmm. How about the term fee simple? What does fee simple mean? Well, fee simple just means the highest form of property rights that you can own on crown land. But the underlying title of this country has to be Aboriginal title, it has to be treaty rights. That's what, there's a, that's what it says in the Constitution of Canada under Section 35.1, is that uh, all Canada and the province recognize existing Aboriginal treaty rights, which is basically that fundamental underlying property right in Canada is Indigenous and not from the crown. And I also encourage you to look up other videos on YouTube. There's a whole bunch of them about different lectures that Arthur gave, and he always talks about the same core issues, but in different ways. And there is a lot to be learned from the videos that we have of all of his lectures. Arthur's advocacy at the international level was pivotal to advancing our rights, both at a domestic level and at the international level. And I had the honor and the privilege to work with him from time to time at the United Nations in Geneva or in other places and learn from him, watch him in action, and really try to understand the best way to advocate for our people at the international level. His passing was a huge loss, you know, not only to his family and his community and his territory, but to all of the other Native people all over Turtle Island. And, and indeed around the world who have benefited from his advocacy and from his interventions, you know, not just here in Canada, but also at the international level. I mean, he was very prolific at the international level and he coordinated and worked with lots of other indigenous groups from around the world. And I'm just really thankful that we have some resources uh, from him, that we have books that we can read, that we have videos, we have submissions that he made at the international level. And I think we really need to uh, take stock of that and, and see the value in that for our advocacy moving forward. And Arthur also left some very important messages for settler allies as well. He said and acknowledged that settler allies have been very important all along the way in his advocacy in all different forums. And he also says that the advocacy and action of settler allies are going to be key in the future to finally realizing justice on Turtle Island for Indigenous peoples. So that means he's talking to you. He's talking to all of our Native warriors out there and he's talking to all of you settler allies that you are the key 
to realizing justice on Turtle Island. And we need you not just to be engaged in a process of education for reconciliation, but also education for action, education for justice, so that we all have a future. So let's move on to some comments and impressions. And thank you again for everybody participating, for sending me their questions and comments on a whole bunch of different social media forum, and also for those who engage in conversation in this YouTube forum, because I think it's really helpful when you leave questions and comments and impressions in the comment section below the videos, it really helps other people because they get to benefit from what's being said. And so the more we can continue to do that underneath the videos in the comment section, I think that it'll just con continue to enrich this Reconciliation Book Club. So let's start with Cluster Together. Here's what they say. Thanks for another great book and video. As you mentioned, this is a very important book for Canadians to read. Europeans often center their historical narratives around who won what battle. I have never enjoyed this kind of framing of history, but in this case, because this book is centered around the resistance to colonial military force, it is interesting and very useful, especially as it educates us about what really happened when Europeans arrived and started pursuing their goals of land accumulation and economic domination. Cluster together for leaving your feedback. And for the rest of you Reconciliation Book Club members, make sure to check out the comments because Cluster Together didn't just leave this comment. Uh, they actually went through and made comments on some of the different chapters. So there's a lot to be learned and a lot of valuable insight there. Thanks again. Now let's turn to Valerie Peters. Here's what she had to say. I think Mr. Manuel, Unsettling Canada, must write in a style that I like to read, as I raced through his book as though it were a thriller or adventure novel. I found his style made the narrative real, vital, and put me right in the middle of the action. I literally could not put down the book. The only difficulty I had was near the end of the book. I got a bit lost in all of the acronyms. It was hard to keep the alphabet soup sorted out to figure who was on whose side. Thank you, Pam, for recommending this excellent book. Thank you for those kind words, support, staying in the club, and for your valuable feedback, Valerie. Everybody's going to benefit from it. And I can't agree with you enough. I was also enthralled by this book. I really liked the storytelling nature of this book, really hearing about these things from his perspective. And I acknowledge what you're saying about acronyms. Acronyms are very difficult. And especially in a native political context, there are so many organizations, so many reports that we end up using so many acronyms that even if we spell it out, by the end, we're using so many it can be confusing especially for people who don't work in that area so that's a really good point and finally Susan Callis has this to say I am quite late commenting on this book but I did find it wonderfully straightforward and I'm seeing the benefit from connecting with such great resources and books as a college educator teaching on the history of social work and social service work, I am sharing these resources with students and they are using it to engage and learn about what was omitted from our lessons previously. This is fantastic news, Susan. 
thank you. This is exactly what I wanted the book club to do. I want this book club to be a resource and to hear that you're actually including these resources in courses where they might not have been included before, that makes a huge difference. That's how we change education in Canada, not just for Indigenous peoples, but for all Canadians, because Canadians also need to unlearn and decolonize what they were taught in school. So thank you. That's a huge bonus to this book club. So what is the next book you ask? Well, here it is. It's by Dr. Peter Henderson Bryce and it's called The Story of a National Crime. It's a very, very small book. It's free. I will post a link to a downloadable PDF in the description box. It won't take you even an hour to read it. Thank you all for tuning in to the Warrior Life podcast. I really appreciate all your support. It especially helps when you like and share these podcasts and when some of you use them in your classrooms. As a quick note, this fall, I'll be accepting applications for sponsors for my podcast episodes from authentic Indigenous artists, businesses, and organizations, as well as from allies who want to support Native media. So if you're interested, just contact me via my website, pampometer.com. Tune in next week for the next Reconciliation Book Club episode, Policing Indigenous Movements. You know that's going to be a good one. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Well, I'll leave.